Osiris. This podcast is in the loop, the Legion of Osiris podcasts. Osiris is creating a community that connects people like you with live experiences and podcasts about artists and topics you love. Get in the loop at OsirisPod.com. Hi, this is Hal Blaine, and when I'm not behind my beautiful set of drums, I'm listening to the Rock and Roll Archaeology Project. You should, too. DIY and How Studios presents Deeper Digs in Rock, part of the Rock and Roll Archaeology Project. Music. Culture. Technology and rock and roll. Now, on with the show. Happy holidays. Welcome to a special episode of Deeper Digs in Rock, a production of Rock and Roll Archaeology. Christian Swain here. I am the Rock and Roll Archaeologist, and I'm behind the mic at Aftermaster Studios in Hollywood today. In Deeper Digs, we go a little further and dig a little deeper into rock and roll music, culture, and technology. Interviews, special topics, field trips, and more. It's the companion show to the Rock and Roll Archaeology podcast, our episodic overview of rock history. All of our podcasts are available at rockandrollarchaeology.com or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Hey, just a bit of news. We are now available on Spotify, radio.com, and Pandora streaming services. Finally, if you enjoy what we do here, then please... Tell a friend, share all about rock and roll archaeology. Thank you. Okay. Ho, ho, ho. Let's do it. That was Brian Adams doing Chuck Berry's Run Run Rudolph. Uh, I'll explain why we went with that version in just a minute. Uh, Before we begin, I just want to say, whatever your jam might be, whatever your holiday traditions are, whatever plans you have to come together and celebrate, everyone at Rock and Roll Archaeology is celebrating right along with you. We're going to talk about the Christmas holiday today, but hey, yeah, everyone's welcome. Come on in, eggnog, mistletoe, big tree in the corner, and uh, we've got the soundtrack for our rockin' Christmas party blasting away. That soundtrack is 1987's star-studded benefit album, A Very Special Christmas. In the three decades since its release, A Very Special Christmas has become part of the holiday canon. Uh, And by the way, raised a ton of money for a wonderful cause, the Special Olympics. Quadruple platinum. Uh, And there have been six follow-up albums. And now, it's one of the most popular holiday records ever. Today, we're going to meet the chief engineer of that record, Mr. Shelley Yakis. 
Shelly is going to take us on a deep dig into the making of a very special Christmas. Shelly Yakis is a heavyweight, one of the most accomplished and celebrated recording engineers of our time. The Jimmy Iovine Shelly Yakis partnership is legendary. Uh, it, it would take up the whole podcast just to list all the artists they've worked with and great albums they've produced. So how about just go to discogs.com and see for yourself. All of the music clips today are from the first volume of A Very Special Christmas, except for one. Uh, we threw it in to provide context, uh, illustrate what Jimmy and Shelley were working on at the time. Uh, you'll, you'll know it when you hear it. So grab some more eggnog, light up a Yule log, Put on some warm socks and put in those earbuds. Let's chat with Shelly Yakis. Shelly Akis, welcome to a special Christmas edition of Deeper Digs in Rock. Well, thank you. Happy How you to doing today? Good. Good. Happy to be here. Yeah, yeah. So, okay, here's first question. The most, most important question. Have you gotten all your shopping done? Of course not. <laughs> <laughs> you better get on it. I know, I know. You know? <laughs> It could I'm be December twenty fourth. Holy cow! It you know? happens fast. It does it? every year. It, it, it seems to arrive at the same time every year. <laughs> <laughs> For sure. All right. So hey, we're here to get some insight on a, on a project you worked on uh, back in the late nineteen eighties that still seems to have some legs. Uh, it's called A Very Special Christmas, which is a Christmas album that was done for the Special Olympics. Isn't that right? That's right. Yeah. So uh, let's get a little idea on, on what you just were doing in 1987 before they came and knocked on your door and said, hey, what do, what do we, uh, uh, we need your help here, Michelle? Well, Jimmy and I, um, Jimmy Ivan and myself, signed on to rebuild A&M Studios. They had like five, six rooms. And in late 1985, we became the guys who who were assigned with, okay, can you fix our studios? Can you make them? Can you make them sound like the kind of records? You, can can these studios be designed so they make the kind of records you guys make? We like the records you that you're making right there. Yeah, because yeah, I think you had several hits like right in there. Yeah, huh? we had a few. <laughs> we had a few. And uh, so Jimmy and I were there from the late 1985. And uh, while I was there and while we were building, I was still uh, mixing and, and, and also working with the builders and designers and stuff like that. And I think that we started End of the Innocence, Don Henley's End of the Innocence. Oh, probably great in, album. Yeah, our late 87. Mm. Like a Rock, Bob Seger's Like a Rock. Okay. You know. Warren Zevon, Sentimental Hygiene. And uh, Luca, Suzanne Vega's Solitude Standing album that oh, had the single Luca hit. on it. Yeah. yeah, it was a big album. 
Were those done at AM or uh, after after the rebuild? Uh, we built we rebuilt a couple of studios at a time. We'd do one and six months, you know, part part way into it, we'd start the next one and then right. kind of go like that. So we had a, a couple of studios done. Yes, th- some of this stuff was recorded outside of the studio, either uh, like for. Uh, for a very special Christmas uh, that came from all over the world. Those recordings, many of them came from all over the world. But Suzanne Vega was mixed at a It was recorded in, in New York and then mixed at a and mm-hmm. And uh, Like a Rock was recorded uh, um, outside of uh, that particular song was recorded outside of a and and folks, just so you know, there are so many albums that that you are working on, uh, you know, uh, at the time. That it's, yes, it's, there's it's, a lot going on. So much going on. It's hard for to juggle the memory and yeah, say, thanks. oh yeah, there was this thanks one and there was that me. one. So it just just an amazing amount of of output yeah. that you guys are doing right at that moment. Right? Yes, yeah, we were busy all the time, and and we were working on really great stuff. Um, it. Jimmy and I had had done a number of things together before we took on the, this rebuild of the studios at A and M, and then um, I think he he did a little bit of production while he was there, and I did a lot more. I continued to do a lot of mixing while I was there, mm-hmm. like Suzanne Vega's album that was recorded in New York, but the, I mixed it there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And um, End of the Innocence, some of those things were recorded outside of A and M, but. We mixed it there. We mixed it at A at A and M, and then in one of the new stu- studios. Okay, so a very special Christmas, which uh, was put out by A and M Records, um, uh, first uh, I believe in, in 1987. That was the, the initial yes. album. Yeah. Uh, and and then there's been several uh, um, uh, additional albums, and I think the last one was in 2013. Right, that's correct. Yeah. Oh, have you been involved with all of them? No, only Just... the only the very first one. Okay. And uh, I was. Uh, it was really an, an honor to be involved with that album. Yeah, so we're just going to talk about the initial album. Um, uh, and how, how did that come about? Well, it was very interesting. Uh, Jimmy's uh, wife, Vicki Iovine, was connected with the Special Olympics and Unison's Sarge Shriver. Yeah, of the Kennedy family. Yes. Yeah. And she went to Jimmy and said, you know, we're trying to come up with a way to to raise some money for the Special Olympics. It's a great cause. You know, you're a producer. Can you put something together? Maybe you, you do an album with some with some uh, art, successful artists, high-profile artists, and we, you know, maybe a Christmas album, you know. And so the conversation between the two of them got to the point where Jimmy said, you know, this is really, really a cool idea. Let, let, let's try to put this together. Putting it together turned out to be, uh, in the beginning, difficult because the managers of successful artists, high-profile artists, are hit all the time uh, with, hey, I'm doing a, a charity album. Can you, can you, can, will you produce some songs on it? Will your, art, will your artists perform on it? And one of the issues was that Jimmy felt that if he could get Bob Seger and Punch Andrews, who's Bob's manager, 
to agree to do it, that it would help other artists have confidence to fall in and say, okay, you know, I, you got Bob and, you know, I'll do it. So when he went to, when he went to Punch Andrews and said, Punch, you know, I'd really like Bob to do this, to do this Christmas album for the Special Olympics. It's a charity album. They told me Punch said, you know, Jimmy, the problem with this stuff is that nobody really knows where the money goes, or at least part of it. There's yeah. always an issue mm-hmm. about mm-hmm. where did it all go? Where did it end up? How did it get used? Mm-hmm. Did it go for the intended purpose? And, A concern, uh, definitely. Yes. And he said, I'm not going to let Bob be involved unless we could have a really clear uh, understanding of, of what would happen with the money and making sure it goes to the Special Olympics. So they were asking for transparency. Yes. And so what Jimmy did was he went to Herb and Jerry, who were the two, Herb Alper and Jerry Moss, who were the two owners of A&M, A&M at the time. <laughs> yeah. Large, the, A, the A and the M. <laughs> yes, the largest privately owned record company in the world. Right. And he told them about the issue and, and talked to them about, okay, how can we solve this? And basically, they wrote a letter that he gave to Punch that said, and it says it right on the CD, that after manufacturing costs, all money will be given to the Special Olympics. And Punch accepted the letter, and 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 then he, you know, then from there. So Bob Seger me, was the first artist to yes, to, yes. to jump on. So board Punch accepted the letter, and and Bob was on board, and he was the first artist. And and uh, then, as Jimmy called other artists, well, you, you see an album full of great artists that agreed to do this terrific album. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we're, we're talking uh, the Eurythmics, Pointer Sisters, Whitney Houston, Bruce Springsteen, yeah. The Pretenders, John Cougar, uh, Mellencamp, uh, now uh, Sting, Run DMC, which is interesting. We'll right. Get back to that. U uh, two, Madonna, uh, uh, Brian Adams, Bon Jovi, Alison Moyet, uh, Stevie Nicks, and of course Bob Seger. That's sure. uh, that's quite an album. Isn't uh, it? Yeah, it's pretty amazing, and it's a favorite. Uh, you know, I hear it all the time. Uh, um, uh, just the other day, I was doing a little research on it uh, in a working environment. Somebody leans over my shoulder and says, "Oh, I, I love that album," you know. And here it is. It's Christmas. Well, of right. course, you know. So, and it's a, a great cause. Uh, so it's fantastic that uh, you you guys would uh, would take this on, and and these other artists would do something out of the norm. Yeah. Uh, because the other thing artists do a lot is 
Christmas albums. Yes. So, you know, their own complete Christmas album. Sure. Uh, I know, sure. Well, you know, uh, that was an expectation for a lot of artists in the past. Uh, maybe begrudgingly so, but uh, they would go <laughs> and do the uh, do the Christmas mm. album. So what, what was your specific role in getting it together? Well, I had uh, – uh, my specific role was really um, helping some of the engineers um, who, who were – Doing some of the songs at A and M, get them to sound kind of so they'd have some continuity because we were going to get songs from all over the world, literally, all different producers, all different artists, and the final product has to sound like it all belongs on the same album, and it's not easy to do when they're all done in totally different places. So, my role was to, uh, at the end of it, was to take all of that and work with a mastering engineer, Stephen Markison, actually. So give it kind of a, a consistency. Yes, to give it a consistency mm-hmm. so that when it went from song to song, it all sounded like it belonged on the same album. Mm-hmm. And in addition, um, the songs that were being done at A&M, I was working with some of the engineers who were mixing the recording and mixing them just to help them with a direction so that, a sound direction so that it sounded more like Jimmy and I were involved in 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 those things working with these guys and they were so all it had extremely a little, talented a little of your stamp yes. as well as the uh the producers and engineers that had done the initial recording yes exactly uh, yeah and, and i think yeah and and folks we, we were talking a little bit before um, um shelly got on the mic that unlike today in the digital age where everything kind of sounds the same, there, there were unique fingerprints of these engineers and producers yes. on each of these songs, and you wanted to maintain that as well. Yes, and without taking away from what the engineers and mixers were doing on their own, you know, they were all really talented and just fabulous uh, attitudes towards towards getting this to be the best it can be and they they on their own made great sounding records we just wanted it to be more like what we're what we're used to hearing without changing too much of what they're doing so it was a little bit of guidance on the three or four songs that were done uh in in los angeles mm-hmm. and uh uh let's see most of these albums were i mean most of these uh songs were done in the United States, but a couple were done uh, in Europe at the time, right? That's my understanding. Uh, and all these tapes, were they sent? I mean, there was no internet where you can just... Uh, you no, know, they were physically sh- sent. Physically sent yeah, over to yeah. you. And uh, you had to collate them uh, and uh, and then uh, sit into a, a, a mixing room yourself and and give them uh, that sort of Iovine... Yakis Sheen that uh, that uh, <laughs> well, that A M expected. Well, yeah, and and we would when we went to mastering, um, uh, it was really uh, a unique experience because when you have uh, when you have Christmas and Hollis from Run DMC, mm-hmm. I don't think too many people heard that type of music before. It not at, really, not at that time. No, uh, it was very unusual. Certainly I, not on a Christmas. I remember album. hitting play on it and saying, "Wow, this is really cool." I never heard anything like this before.
but also sonically, it was totally different than, than what you would get else. in a rock album, right? Yes, right, and, yeah. and totally different than everything else on the album sonically. Mm-hmm. And all of that had to fit together. And everybody worked really hard. And my job was really to oversee the sound of the whole album um, and make sure that it, it fit together from a sound point of view. Now, there were, there were a couple of tracks that you you worked on in the recording of, uh, of, the, uh, of the album, right? Yeah, it was Santa Baby, Madonna's Santa Baby. And we did that over at Capitol Records because it was a... Uh, uh, it was a whole orchestra with strings and uh, a huge setup. And oh, was it in the big room in Capitol, yes, like the, the, the old Sinatra room? Yeah, yeah. Oh, we wow. did it in that great sounding room there, mm-hmm. and uh, we did it in there. And then Madonna came in a few days later and did her voice. I remember her coming in and saying, "Jimmy, here's what I came up with," and she sang it how she sang it. <laughs> An interesting uh, interpretation. Yeah, and it it works. You know, it's really cool. Yeah. Santa baby, slip a sable under the tree for me. Being an awful good girl, Santa baby, and hurry down the chimney tonight. Baby, an outer space convertible to light blue. I'll wait up for you, dear Santa baby, and hurry down the chimney tonight. Think of all the fun I've missed. Think of all the fun. And interestingly enough, the uh, I, I remember we finished the vocal overdub and we played it back and Jimmy said, okay, let's book some time to mix it. And I said, you know, take a listen. This thing sounds mixed already. And this is right off the monitor section of the console. And we hit play, and he said, you know, it really does sound mixed. And uh, I, think we, I think we tried to improve it, but we, we end up going with what we were hearing in the monitor while we were doing the vocal overdub. And I, I had never done that before or since. But it just it's one of those things that just fell into place. And what we were hearing the day of the vocal overdub, that was the final that made the album. Oh, really? Made the CD, yeah. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's really cool. So it was just magic then? One of those moments, yeah. Yeah, yeah that occurs. Yeah. So. And she's great at what she does, you know, so it, it makes it easier. Oh, know? yeah, yeah. Is that the only one that you actually were involved in the recording process? Be- from beginning to end. Uh-huh. The uh-huh. Other, some of the other songs on there, I... I helped out uh, some of the engineers that were working on it just from a continuity point of view. So you were in the room while it was being recorded? Yes. Some of these? Yes, uh-huh. or, or or remixed. Uh-huh. 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 Right. Including the vocal parts? Well, they would do the vocal overdubs usually before I was involved. Oh, before, okay. Yeah. And okay. Jimmy was involved as a... If he was produ- Roy Bitten produced some of the songs, so uh, uh, you know, from Bruce Springsteen, yes, East Street. So yeah, yeah mm-hmm. so he would. It would be his call about the vocals and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But in terms of the mixing and the overall sound and stuff, I had some involvement with with the guys who were mixing, and to just help it have some familiarity of what what we do. Mm-hmm. Okay, so. Um, 
you know, uh, other than Santa Baby, Madonna, which you were intimately involved with, <laughs> obviously the Run DNC, uh, Run Run DNC, um, Christmas in Hollis uh, song. What, what other of the songs really, you know, stood out for you? Little Drummer Boy. Oh, oh yeah, Bob Seger. Yeah. Bob Seger's. Yeah, version. that was done at the, in the big room at A and M. That was. Uh-huh, yeah. Uh huh. And uh, I remember standing there hearing this thing and saying, wow, listen listen to this, listen to this, listen to him singing, listen to this whole presentation of this song. It just had this vibe that was, well, you hear it on the CD, it was fabulous. Yeah, yeah, you know? that's pretty crazy. Yeah. Yeah. All of the ones, like the, the, the ones like um, Little Drummer Boy and... Um, and Silent Night and uh, Santa's coming. Uh, well, no, the Pointer Sisters. Santa's coming to town. Those were all great too. How can you say one is better than the other? Yeah, you know? it, it's a little bit tough. I mean, you know, it's funny. You you have um, um, uh, Bruce Springsteen uh, here uh, doing "Merry Christmas, Baby," yeah. but he's more famous now for doing. Santa Claus is coming to town, uh, which is kind of funny. <laughs> it is. Uh, you know, even though the Pointer Sisters version is great on this album, it's just, you know, these songs are just constant. They just keep coming back and keep coming back. And uh, even today, you know, artists are, are making the, the, the Christmas album with the traditional Christmas songs. Well, they have those great melodies that, that no, you never get tired of a great melody. Oh, yeah. You yeah, know, and, yeah. A, and, a, and a terrific song. Yeah, yeah. That it never, all starts with a song, definitely. It, that never goes out of style. <laughs> no, you know? no, no matter what you do, yeah, yeah. right? right? That's right. right. Um, so, so, um, so the Special Olympics uh, was brought on because of of Jimmy's wife, right? Yes. So, w- was it her idea, or did they kind of say, "Wow, you know"? Uh, did Eunice Shriver, uh, uh, um, you know, say this this might be something that uh, could could help us get the message out? Because Special Olympics were pretty new back then. Yes, it was new, and and I think that I think that Vicky had the idea of. You know, they were trying to figure out how to raise money. And I think that because her and, her and Jimmy were obviously together, and it, I think that really what happened here was that she presented it to Jimmy and said, Jimmy, you know, you're, you're a record producer. Can you think of, can you come up with a way to, you know, maybe make an album that can be sold and we raise the money for Special Olympics? And Jimmy being Jimmy, he took it the rest of the way, you know. Mm-hmm. I mean, look, his involvement in this was It wouldn't he, have happened. It wouldn't have happened. Right. And he's he's smart, he's he's really good at what he does. He's a terrific producer and 
you know, he figured out how to get this done. Let me tell you something. I was there from beginning to end, maybe not at every session Mm. because there were other engineers and producers involved. And some of them were done in, outside of Los Angeles. But it was your job to oversee the production. Uh, oversee the sound of the production. Okay. Yeah. And in, in, in the ones that I had access to. Mm-hmm. A lot of the stuff was delivered to us without any input from us. Mm-hmm. I mean, Jimmy would say, here's what I'm looking for to a producer. And they would come up with their own version of it and send it in. And it would be all mixed and everything. But on some of the things, uh, some of these songs, uh, that was my job, was to oversee the sound of it and mm-hmm. try to help it be have the continuity that, that it should have. Keith Haring get involved to do the cover? You, through, through Eunice Shriver. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. She made that connection, and yeah, that's so how that, that was that, done. Yeah, I mean, that's a very unique cover. It's uh, very striking. Sure. Easy to see. You know, back in the day when, uh, you know, a visual representation was, uh, you know, almost as important as the music inside to grab the attention of, uh, of the buyer. Yeah, Absolutely. Yeah, great, great, great. Cover. Yeah, and the and the size of the covers then, you know, is really, you're looking at some real artwork. Yeah, know? yeah, it's awesome. Yeah, by an unfortunately past great artist uh, yeah. uh, at the time. Uh, was there any additional production for the 30th anniversary album that was released in 2016? I'm not familiar with any of the albums, any of the production mm-hmm. on the albums after that first one. So well, they re-released this in 2016, but so there was no extra production. You weren't brought in to no, say, "Hey, let's no. remix it or remaster it or no. any of that." Okay, no, okay. I wasn't involved with it at all. All right, and then um, you know, are are you surprised it's been certified uh, quadruple platinum? I wouldn't say surprised. I would say I'm really thrilled that that it is that it's that it's done so well and. I mean, it, and it, it took a decade to do so. So it's this means that constantly every year people are saying, "Oh, new people are saying, I need, I, I need sure. to buy this out." Sure. And, and you know, when you look at when you look at the artists on that album in, in the beginning, you know, we're all thinking, "Well, is this going to, you know, is this going to bring in some good money for the, you know, is this going to be successful enough to make a difference for the Special Olympics?" And when you look at the artists that are on there and then listen to their presentations of the songs, literally, I'm taken over by every single song, every presentation, every performance. You know, the musicians are a big part of this. They, musicians, uh, uh, the other producers, the the engineers, uh, the, the artists. I mean, it takes a lot. Nobody does this stuff by themselves, and it takes a lot to get a finished product 
that is as successful as that first very special Christmas album. Yeah, there wouldn't have been the other ones if this one wasn't a hit. It would have right, and it would have been. I would have been much more surprised if this didn't do well. Oh, really? Yeah, because because not that you know in advance, but when you hear these known songs, well, most of them are known songs. When you hear them done in the way that they're done by these artists. Yeah, I mean, artists I mean, it's, pretty much all at their peak right here. Yes. It's really the best of the best. And I would have been really surprised if it wasn't accepted by everyone who loved it and uh, and, and millions of people who loved it. I didn't know, I didn't have any expectations of what it was going to sell, but I felt that it was really going to do well, you know, and mm-hmm. th- that's, that, that was the confidence. Yeah. yeah, that was the confidence level I have. Mm-hmm. So is the, the the U2 song, is that a live recording? You know, I, I don't know. I wasn't involved in recording that song, and uh, I don't know if even if I can answer the question. I wish I could. We'll I, look it up and get back to yeah, you. Yeah, would you? <laughs> it's Christmas. Baby, please come home. We got a lot of stuff. Yeah. Believe me, it yeah. was it was huge. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The amount of material that was sent in, and there, and you, you know, had to go through every bit of it. Yes. Yeah. How long did it take to put the album together? Months. So. Well, from beginning to end, it yeah. was it was months. Yeah. And then in mastering, it took a number of tries working at it too, which is normal if you want to get something really good sounding. Mm-hmm. But it took a number of times to try to get the album to feel like it had continuity from song to song and retain the sound of it and have every song have its personality. Mm-hmm. It's easy if you want to over-EQ it. You can get it to fit together in a second. But if you want everybody to have the personality that was intended mm-hmm. and the impact and the, you know, when a producer and an artist listen to the final mix and they say, yeah, that's it, you don't want to change that. You want to retain that. Mm-hmm. So retaining it is what's difficult because you're trying to fit it with other songs. Oh. If it was other like songs from the same artist, it's it's simpler. It's never easy, but it's simpler because you're with the same artist on the same CD, but being among a variety, a variety, yeah, yeah. Uh, a huge cross section of different artists and yeah. different sounds, it it took some doing.
So did you have to um, do your mixes and send them back to uh, get approval? Well, no, because Jimmy and I worked together on on the Jimmy and I worked together on the Madonna stuff. Yeah. So he he liked what we had, mm-hmm. and when the other mixers um, that I worked with sent their stuff in, he he was happy with that stuff. I can't remember. Uh, I, he was happy with the mixes. I can't remember if there were if there were any remixes on anything, but okay, it was always an ongoing. Uh, it was dialogue he, he had a, between uh, between the artists, the, the engineers, and the other producers. And yes, Jimmy and yes, yourself. And okay. I'll tell you, Jimmy had his hands full. <laughs> you know. Well, you're dealing with a lot of different people yes, there. Yes. That is a juggling act. Yes, definitely. Yeah, uh, and uh, like I said, you know, these, these are all folks right at the peak of their game uh, yeah. that could easily go out and do their own Christmas album if uh, if they really wanted to. Sure. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I think, as a matter of fact, I think that we went over to Capitol Records uh, because the main room at, at A&M, the big room, was being used for, for Special Olympics for one of the other songs that was being done at the same time. So we were we had stuff going on all the time. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. So uh, a very special Christmas is one of the largest providers of funding to the Special Olympics, even to this day. Uh, over the last 30 years, all the albums combined have generated more than $70 million. That's remarkable. Is uh, You must be incredibly proud of what, what you guys did with this. I am. I, I, I'm, I'm, I, you know, I really think – I'm really grateful – that I was part of that first album because that was the foundation. Yeah, for set all the stage. The rest. Yeah, mm-hmm. set the stage, and all the others that were done. Listen, there was a lot of hard work on everybody's part. Uh, I think the fact that the first one was successful, I think, helped the public see, "Wow, this is really great." I, now that the second one's out, I should really listen to that and see if I, you know, I get it. It it really opened the doors. It opened the doors for all the future albums, and it helped a lot. Helped an amazing amount, actually. Yeah, seventy million dollars. Oh that's, my God, it's that's great for such a great cause. Remarkable. So, uh, any upcoming Christmas albums uh, you're working on now? No. <laughs> <laughs> I hear Justin Timberlake needs one. <laughs> <laughs> he knows how to reach me. <laughs> so, okay. Last question. What do you want for Christmas, Shelly Yakis? Peace. We'll go with peace. Yeah. Thanks so much for being with us today on a very special Deeper Digs in Rock. Thank you.
<laughs> you know, uh, Shelly does look a little like Santa Claus. Put him in a red suit, had a few whiskers, and voila, he's a rock and roll St. Nick. And uh, I have to mea culpa on the YouTube version of Christmas Baby Please Don't Go as live. Uh, it was not. It was the Springsteen's Merry Christmas Baby, uh, which we just played. Well, now we know. What a holiday treat. What an amazing story. And what a great cause. Thanks again to Shelly Yakis. Please stream or download a very special Christmas if you don't already have it in your playlist. These tracks are certain to bring tidings of joy to you and yours. And visit specialolympics.org to learn more about this great cause and find out how you can help. I'm Christian Swain, and this has been a holiday edition of Deeper Digs in Rock, a production of Rock and Roll Archaeology. Keep up the rockin'. yourself a merry little Christmas Let your heart be light From now on our troubles will be out of yourself a merry little Christmas make the youth from now on deeper digs in rock produced and hosted by Christian Swain All sound design and incidental music by Busy Signal Studios. All quotes performed by actors unless noted. Playlists can be found at iTunes, Google Play, and Spotify. Please purchase these great and important tracks. All songs, clips, and references can be found on our show notes. Please visit rnrap.com for more information. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com 
Code Pantheon. Score more fantasy points.